E-S-N-Y. third pod of the week a little past 4 30 rolling as always with my co-host chip murphy chip what's going on man how you doing i'm great man how are you doing doing good doing good um always pumped to be talking hoops again um the nba as we inch closer to the all-star game and eventually the trade deadline has uh there's been no shortage of news um obviously most recently with the atlanta hawks there's been the firing of lloyd pierce um, teams are jockeying for playoff position. Uh, there's plenty of rumors abound, you know, prior to the trade deadline. And of course, we always uh, want to have a guest when we kind of uh, deconstruct and break down all of these things that are going on. And we are very pumped tonight to have a very special guest um, from the ringer, staff writer, Jonathan Charks. Jonathan, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. What's happening with y'all? Um, not much. Listen, just, uh, taking it day by day. Um, as, uh, our friend Colin Loring likes to say, just another day in paradise, just trying to make it work. Um, but very, very pumped to start talking hoops with you tonight for sure. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Okay. Um, so we're going to start off with the Hawks first. Uh, you most recently came out with an article for the ringer, uh, specifically kind of centered around trade young, of course, including, um, you know, the most recent firing of Lloyd Pierce. I think the first place that I want to start with is Nate McMillan. Um, you know, Pierce was what was let go for a lot of different reasons. We know that the players struggled with him a little bit. Their record was not great. Uh, if this team does eventually have success and make the playoffs this season, do you think it will be more of a function of just players getting healthy McMillan having a, 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 you know, a full roster to work with, or do you think there is something that Nate McMillan can bring specifically to the team that Lloyd Pierce could not? I would say I lean more toward it's a player's league and your, your, the, play, the health of your players, is, especially in a year like this. So DeAndre Hunter, they got Bogdanovich back last night. That was the main thing, that those two guys can get going. That really changed the whole team. I think that's what the Hawks are counting on. I think I look at them more with the coaches a lot of times. It's kind of what the front office, the coach only has so much control, right? So the front office can change the coach if they want to. It's more like it's, it's what they want to do. Like, cause what's going to happen is going to happen regardless. So I think like I'm looking at the Hawks rest of the season. It's more about Bogdanovich and Hunter than any of these coaches. Right. And, and uh, talked a little bit about, um, their young core moving forward, which is interesting. And in that article, um, talked a lot about the fit around, you know, Trey Young. And we know that DeAndre Hunter was having a really fantastic year before he got hurt. Between a young core, obviously that includes Young, but it also has Cam Reddish, Hunter, who we mentioned, uh, Onyeko Kongu, Kevin Herter, and even John Collins. Um, who do you think ultimately is going to be the second best player next to Trey Young? 
Good question. Um, DeAndre Hunter, probably. I think more of this is a function of positional value, but the way the league is now, it's just so important to have that big, big bodied wing who can guard multiple positions, spread the floor, get his shot. I mean, we see with the Hawks, like when he went down, the whole team fell apart. Like, and I don't even know that he's necessarily more talented than like Collins or Reddish, but the role he plays is just so vital to the team's success that I think he will at least in the near future. I think it's possible eventually Cam Reddish could be better, but Reddish has never really put it all together. We're still waiting for that. It might never happen. So I'm going to say DeAndre Hunter. He's really, really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, And he's a great defender, too, which is something they really struggle with. And you can tell how important he was to them, too. I was looking at their record uh, since he went down, and they're 5-11, and 11. They were nine and nine with him, five and eleven since yeah. he went down, and they were twelfth in defensive rating when they had him. They're twenty seventh in defensive rating since he went down, and it's just a clear decline there. But I wanted to ask you because it feels like uh, Lloyd Pierce is—I don't know if it's raw deal is the right word because he didn't do a great job, but it feels like he's being scapegoated here because he didn't put the guys on the court. Travis Schlenk spent a bunch of money and put this roster together. And like you said, there was a bunch of injuries and I guess there maybe Travis Schlenk is feeling the heat. I know he signed a contract extension two years ago that I couldn't find the terms of that extension to when his contract expires. But uh, do you think maybe this move was made now because they're just desperate to make the playoffs and like they made the, uh, moves in the offseason, or do you think they actually believe that Nate McMillan can be the guy going forward? I mean, I think you had it right, and I think people don't quite understand the life of the NBA coach. Mm-hmm. NBA coaches get scapegoated all the time. Like, that's yeah. literally the main function of their job. Like, the, the kind of the expression I've heard recently I really like is like, a head coach is like a shield for the GM. <laughs> and that's a guy at some point, if things aren't going well, he's the guy you put in front and he gets hit. Like, that's like your job. That's why like Jeff Van Gundy will never criticize a coach because coaches know their jobs are so inherently unfair anyways that they get enough grief from everyone else. It's like a freaking mob. Like you're never going to see a coach diss another coach like ever. So I'm in Dallas and like the running joke in Dallas that Rick Carlisle, he's the head of the coaches association. He's always going to defend the other team's coach if they get fired. Like, every single time because it's a very unfair job and like every NBA coach knows basically unless you want a championship and you, then you can get that Carlisle Spo Popovich status. Unless you have that championship ring, then your time is always numbered. You know, you're going to get fired eventually. It's just part of the job. They make a lot of money for a reason. Honestly, like that's what it comes down to is they're paid a lot of money to know you're going to get fired, fired probably for something that's not your fault. Well, didn't Pierce, Pierce said that too. I mean, yeah, that was, he had a, he had a yeah. quote an article about I that. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, you know, Travis is going to fire me one day. And, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be, which is super interesting, but, um, yeah. Well, the reporting came out, like, it seems pretty clear when he said that he knew he was about to get fired. Like it had been like a week or so in advance, the firing. They knew it was coming. When that story came out about the two of them getting into a fight, uh, not the two of them, uh, Trey Young and John Collins getting into a fight. Yeah, it felt like this the writing was on the wall because there yeah. was already a, a, a story in the past about Trey Young and 
uh, Lloyd Pierce getting into a fight. And then there's this stuff with John Collins not being happy about his role in the offense. And that felt like the, the table was being set for a change. Yeah. And the thing of it is like any NBA team, you can find someone happy with the role in the offense, just about it's yeah. an inherently unstable dynamic in the locker room. It just, when those stories start coming out, cause like those stories are always there. So it's not like it's a surprise it's happening, but when it's coming out, you know, things are about to happen. Like that's a signal that, okay, things are changing because this shouldn't be getting out there. But once it is, it's like, okay, you know, it's about to happen. I wanted to ask also about John Collins, um, a player who's having a pretty good season. He's improved a lot in terms of defensively since he's come in the league, especially as a shooter as well. He turned down an extension because it was less than the max. Do you think that the Hawks hope that McMillan can somehow repair the relationship uh, between him and the organization? Is there too much bad blood between him, meaning John Collins and Trey Young right now? Um, do you ultimately believe that this is headed towards a trade? Um, or do you think that maybe within these next few months or so that uh, there is some, you know, kind of like reparation that can be there? Yeah, I mean, I think the ultimate making up the bad blood is just money. You know, I, I would bet that Collins will get a max offer and they'll match it and then he'll have his money and then life will go on. <laughs> He's played really well this year. Yeah. And I think... He's played really well, even though his numbers don't show it, which is encouraging. Like, that's like, okay, he's meshed, he's meshed with Capella. He's playing better defense. He's part of the system. He's helping them win, even though his, like, individual numbers aren't showing necessarily. And I think that will get him paid this offseason. And once he's paid, I think he'll be a lot, he'll be a lot chiller. That's my guess. I could see that. Money and winning cures all, pretty much. Those two <laughs> things, right? Yeah, gets yeah. to the playoffs, makes some money. We're all happy. It's all love. Look at the Utah Jazz. They were Rudy Gobert, gave Donovan Mitchell COVID, and now no one's talking about it because they're the best team. Mike Conley was frustrated last year. Now he's loving it. Life is good, man. Mm -hmm. Winning cures a lot of ills. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, But with the Hawks, what I want to ask you about, like we kind of alluded to it already. They've had so many injuries. And it feels like – so it feels like Pierce has barely had a chance – to coach the actual team that he's going to be coaching. And you alluded to it in the piece you wrote for the ringer when they actually had the real squad on the court, they were good. Yeah. Like they played really well. And it's, it just feels like maybe this team is a playoff team. Maybe they're going to be good. So how confident are you about their chances moving forward with McMillan when they finally get healthy? I believe in this team a lot. I think they have a ton of talent. I think it fits pretty well together. I'm, I've been on board the Hawks all season. Hasn't happened so far. Just a matter of getting Hunter back. So Bogdanovich came back last night, but Hunter, it's been unclear how long he'll be out. They said two months. So it'd be late March. I got to get him back, get him healthy. He's the piece that fits it all together. So what we were talking about like with the defense, because you, you look at the rest of their players, nobody else has the size and frame to guard the top wings. You can't guard those guys that get to the lane, collapse the defense, kick out. People are scoring on him. He's just the key. It's just it's DeAndre Hunter. If he's back and healthy, they'll be fine. If not, they're going to muddle through all season. Transitioning to the Knicks, uh, Chip and I are both Knicks fans, so we were super pumped. When oh, congratulations. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's turning year. around for you guys. <laughs> this year, hopefully, right? Not um, used to hearing that when no, we tell we're people we're Knicks fans. <laughs> um, but, you know, we were pumped to see that quickly article that you came out with and just wanted to kind of um, – 
poke your brain a little bit on that in, in terms of inserting him into the starting lineup. Um, because like for me, I've, uh, I've been a little bit more cautious on that and maybe a little bit more supportive of Tibbs kind of waiting um, a little mm-hmm. bit for that. But uh, the first question I wanted to ask you on that sense is, you know, if quickly is inserted into the starting lineup, is it just as simple as kind of plugging him in for Peyton and leaving the rest of the lineup? <laughs> uh, would you be worried about the defense or do you feel that when Mitch comes back, there's kind of enough there for them to compensate? with Barrett and Bullock and Mitchell, I think there's enough to cover perfectly. I just look at the Knicks and the way they're currently constructed. It's just they don't get enough threes up. I think that's going to kill them in the playoffs. I just think their starting lineup just doesn't have enough guys who just shoot threes. Quickly fixes that problem almost by himself. So that's something I've really, the last year or two, is just the ability to launch threes quickly. is be, Quickly. It's just become so important in the NBA now, you know? Like, it's just... It's all, it's like, especially you have so many guys like Julius, RJ, their best getting to the rim. You just got to have that complement of the spacing, launching threes guy. I just think with Alfred out there, it's just you're limiting your team. Even D Rose, he's a slasher too. Right. You're just not, there's too many slashers, not enough shooters. And I think that's going to limp, that's going to really limit the ceiling of this team until that changes. Do, um, is there any kind of hesitance? Like, I guess from Tibbs's, point of view um we've talked to other people who you know are are cover teams that of coaches that maybe worked with Tibbs in the past we know Clifford Steve Clifford and Tibbs used to be on a Knicks staff years ago and they kind of seem to have similar um philosophies in player development like give give the player maybe a small bit of responsibility when they can kind of handle that give them something else you know quickly has also been his production has been uh against a lot of second units uh, which has been good, I think, for his confidence. And he seems to be bringing along Obi Toppin very, um, you know, slowly. Uh, do you think that, you know, there could be um, maybe a downside uh, to kind of putting him in the starting lineup? And, you know, if he does kind of falter there, maybe it does damage his confidence a little bit. Or, or do you think that having him out of the start- starting lineup kind of impacts winning in a negative way so much so that they can't really take that chance. I think there's a downside for him. I think that, I think if a guy like Tibbs, Clifford is like this too. It's like, they're very big on, I got to make the rookie earn it. If the rookie makes the defensive mistake, he's got to come out there. Like that's kind of this old school mentality. We got to develop the player for his long career. I think the player they would point to, and I, I think Clifford's on the staff. I have to go back and look is, um, Stan Van Gundy and the Magic with JJ Redick. So I think like his first two years he barely played because Stan was like, "These are the principles. You've got to stick with them. If you hit these principles, you're not playing." And like JJ will say now, like that helped me build my career for the long haul. Like okay, 15 years later, the lessons I learned then have helped me as a player. And I think for guys like Tibbs and Clifford, they view rookies like that. They're like, okay, if a rookie won't help, I think Tibbs's prize attitude is if I'm if my team needs a rookie to win, we're not that good anyways, like whatever. Rookie's got to grow. Rookie's got to learn, which is true, but his team needs a rookie to win. So I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, to your point too, there are different philosophies and, you know, like I've seen people point out on Twitter too, like 
the reason Colin Sexton is as good as Colin Sexton is now is because he played a, a ton. They lost a lot of games and he went through a lot of ups and downs, but he's been for a guy that wasn't um, seen as a big offensive threat coming out of college. He's improved tremendously because he's had that time out on the floor. Yeah. But I guess I think what Tibbs would say was like, they ain't winning. You don't play no defense. Right. That hasn't changed. Um, I think personally, like whether he play whether quickly starts or not this year, ultimately he just fits so well with Julius and RJ. You just got to get him more minutes. If it's not this year, it's got to be next year. I think that's the key is like, I look at it more as aligning skill sets and letting the good things flow from that. And just to me, if my top two players are Julius and RJ, I've got to have a lightning three point shooting point guard. If it doesn't happen this year, whatever, but next year it's got to happen. If not, it just, this has got to happen. Right. Yeah. It's not even just about the starting. It's about the fact that Alfred Payton is getting all the minutes with Julius Randall and RJ Barrett and, Emmanuel quickly's only played 268 possessions with those guys the entire season. And in the, I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now. They're plus 15.9 points per 100 possessions. The numbers are crazy, crazy crazy high. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's, about skill sets like Mm -hmm. Alfred Payton, just like, I don't even need any numbers for this. I can just look at what Alfred Payton does in the court. I look (laughs) at what Julius does. I look at what RJ does. And I just like, no, that's just not going to work. I don't even need numbers. I just common sense, right? Three ball dominant players don't really shoot three. It just doesn't work. It does, their skills don't align. And if you're playing players whose skills don't align, it limits your team tremendously. And they're an individual success. And RJ's actually been much better recently shooting the three, which has really helped the offense. And Julius has been really good shooting through yeah. this year. But ideally, you want Julius to be barreling towards the rim because that's when he's at his best so you don't want him to turn into a jump shooter yeah because that hurts the offense so yeah I mean it just makes sense quickly being there at the end of the game and uh, Peyton is hurt right now but I wanted to ask you Jonathan what you think of uh, Derek Rose being on the team now because I think when you wrote that I'm not sure if Rose was on the team yet but I think they had just traded for him or something. No, they just traded for him. Yeah, they may have just traded for him. So you may not have had any sample size on that. But but now that they've played uh, together a little bit and they've looked really good together, the two of them, and Rose has looked great with the young guys, what do you think of that duo of uh, Rose and Quickly? Well, my first reaction was like, man, Tibbs has his favorites, doesn't he? I mean, he's still got Rose (laughs) and the game back together. It's unbelievable. They're like, it's that was like 10 years ago now. He got mm-hmm. them all in Minnesota. Then he got them all again in New York. It's crazy. I mean, you got to respect what Rose has done to stick in the lead, changing his game, fitting into a new role. I think like that's ultimately the value of Julius, I think, is that if he's going to have more of his point forward role, it gives you more flexibility with your guards. Because you say, okay, my guards don't need to necessarily run the offense, control tempo, et cetera, et cetera. They can just come in and get buckets. That's why I think like Rivers played well when he was playing, right? Rivers had a couple of big games this year. It was the same ba- Burks too, right? You have all these guards who just come in and get buckets because you have big men who can run the offense. I think that's ultimately the value of a Julius Randle is that flexibility it gives you with your backcourt. Um, there was a, another topic that we definitely wanted to touch on um, tonight is Chris Apsporzingas. Um, you know, a player that as Knicks fans, we know well, 
um, you know, things thus far, I, I would not necessarily say just flat out in a vacuum, they haven't worked out in the, with the Mavericks, but they certainly don't look great. He's had multiple leg injuries. The record isn't great. Um, chemistry issues with Luca look a little bit off. We've, we've certainly heard him included in trade rumors. Um, on some level, you know, where do you think this is ultimately heading? Do you think that the chemistry between him and Luca can improve? I mean, we talked about skill sets earlier. They do match, but for some reason, uh, and I know that you talked about Luca's ball dominance, it, it hasn't worked so far, but do you think it can work? And, and do you see that as a function of maybe other players having to come onto the roster, them altering the way they play, or how do you see that turning out? I mean, I, it worked fine last year. I mean, it's just one of those things Chris Stapps had to accept. Like, Luca's the man. You've got to space it for Luca. You just can't do a lot of your stuff anymore. And he pretty much went with it last year. I think it's hard for him. I think he sees the same thing everyone else sees, and he wants to get to his spots. You know, he loved that mid-range game in New York. He never gets to use it anymore because it's not how the way Dallas plays. He's pretty firmly slotted behind Luca. That's tough. He's always hurt. That's really tough. That's the thing. He just, I mean, he's accepted the role, but I think he struggles with it. I mean, like anyone would at his age. And then two, it's just the injuries. I mean, he was great in the bubble. Like he was awesome. But it just seems like, especially with this season, with the compressed schedule, it's just not good for a guy like Chris Stapps. He just, his body can't take very much. And I don't know. Like they can't trade him because of his injuries. So they just got to hope he can stay healthy. I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. It doesn't look good, though. <laughs> what do you think has been the biggest problem in Dallas so far? Like, how does a team go from the, a record-setting NBA offense to uh, to this? To I think they're – when I looked before, I think they were 11th in offensive rating on basketball. Right? Well, I mean, the, the, the shooting has gone down. I mean, the just been team-wide. Like, as, as someone who's had COVID, they had half the team have COVID. I mean, it just wrecked the whole team, wrecked their timing. They also have the third easiest schedule the rest of the way. And they're not that far out of like where they were last year. It wouldn't shock me to get back to that five, six, seven range. What's happened, like Luka came in out of shape. Chris Stapps was hurt. Rest of their guys got injured or got COVID. And then everyone kind of their shooting all went down. My theory, one thing I've noticed this year, I think, especially is that when you have the one guy who's like Seth Curry, he shoots so well and makes life easier. So, like, if you're the best shooter on the floor, right, does that make sense? Like, yeah. sometimes if you have a bunch of streaky shooters and one great shooter, the street Kim guys Hardaway. are easier shots. Yeah. 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 But now that great shooter's gone, all the street guys, got to be consistent because now they're not getting mm. those same easier shots and there's a cascade effect that happens. I think that's the biggest thing. But I think they're figuring it out. Jalen Brunson's played great the last few weeks. Luca's has been on an absolute tear. I think they'll be fine. They're not going to be on a championship. That was never in the cards anyways. Do you think um, – well, it, it seems like in that last offseason, too, they sacrificed that shooting for defense because that it seemed like that's what they wanted to improve on the most, most bringing on uh, Josh Richardson. Yeah. Um, you know, James Johnson to an extent, too. But you, to your point, it, it's like that one player – and it's interesting, too, because Seth Curry, I mean, he, he, was, um, he was out early this year with the Sixers, too, and, and, but he was – literally shooting the lights out early on and he struggled to come back. Um, but it is kind of, again, interesting just to see how much of an effect that one player 
had because uh, Luca coming in out of shape, he he struggled early on too. But Curry's he couldn't uh, buy a jumper for like two oh, months. He couldn't. couldn't. Yeah, I mean, and really, it shows the value of shooters who can defend. Because that was the problem with Seth was in the playoffs, the Clippers really started attacking him because he's not that big or fast. They started getting him in screens on Kawhi and Paul George, and they just wrecked him in the last couple games of that series. It just shows you if you can find guys who are really big and can defend and can really shoot, they're just so valuable the way the game is played now. Which goes back to the Andre Hunter thing too. It's like a guy like that who can shoot and defend, it makes everyone better, and it's just so hard to find them. Um, to what extent, I mean, uh, being, a, being a Dallas guy, to what extent have you heard – uh, we've obviously read reports, but, you know, as Knicks fans, there was always a narrative, whether it was true or not, about Porzingis and his brothers and being a little bit high maintenance and difficult to manage in certain situations. To what extent do you buy that? Um, or if you if you feel that like it's a legitimate thing with the Mavericks in Dallas, or do you feel that maybe that's just kind of a, a sub story that comes up when you're struggling? I don't know. I mean, for the most part, KP's been pretty good here. He's bought into playing off Luca. I don't know. I've not been around the team much this year because of COVID, so it's hard to say. Um, I think every star is hard to manage to some level. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, honestly, I'm not sure. Like, I think because last year especially, so last year he's come back from all his injuries. He's just trying to play again. He was real chill about it. He was like, I got to get healthy. Got to get back on the floor. Got to reestablish myself. I think last year in particular, he was very much very unselfish because he just wanted to play again. It had been so long. I think this year has been harder because he's a little frustrated. He feels the criticism, you know, like anyone would, right? But as far as like with his brothers, I don't honestly don't know. Yeah, I read that. And I, I think Ian Begley retweeted it and said that uh, I think Giannis Porzingis is his name. I think he said Giannis hasn't even been in the country this year or something. And Ian, Ian would know because, but no, uh, about, Sanon Porzingis, uh, I just the thing about as much as I, as much as I, as a Knicks fan, irrationally don't want to say anything good about Porzingis, he has played really well lately. But it's his the thing that's surprised me watching him has just been his defense, obviously, like how how bad he's been on defense, just getting burnt consistently. And it's, it's been ugly. Like he's always, he's always had trouble posting guys up. So that's not surprising, but he was, when he was healthy with us, he looked like he was on his way to being one of the league's best rim protectors. So, I mean, why do you think that's been such a struggle with the defense? Is it injuries uh, just getting into shape or. That's my guess this year, especially he's looked really slow. His timing has been off. Mm -hmm. It's just injuries, rhythm, the schedule's weird. I, that, I'm just hoping as the season goes on, that'll come back. But yeah, he's got to defend. He's got to stay on the paint. And I mean, also to a guy like KP, the way the game has changed, even in the last five years, it's harder and harder. He's just not ever going to be a guy who gets out in space. Even in the bubble for as well as he was playing, I think there was a game where Dame scored like 60 because every time it'd be KP's man with a screen, Dame pull up and shoot. What else he can do about that? Right. Um, no, he's well, never, he was never comfortable coming out to the three point line. I remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah. That's not his thing. To go back to the Knicks for a little bit, a couple of questions uh, that just popped into my head. I'm always interested in asking, you know, writers who um, aren't always around the Knicks 
you know, a lot, you know, in terms of what they think about them and their future going forward. The Knicks, at least uh, from a perception, have, have been kind of um, geared more towards winning this season as opposed to maximizing uh, potential in terms of the draft lottery. We know that the draft is going to be loaded this year. Um, heading towards the trade deadline, it looks, and again, we don't know, but it looks like they're going to be buyers as opposed to sellers, and which is great for fans. And I, I've been happy that they've been winning, but, you know, based on who they have on the roster and kind of their long-term planning or building, do you think that that's the appropriate way to go um, at this point, or would you like to see them kind of focus on maybe they have two first round picks, right? So it's not like they don't have yeah. anything, but would you like to see them try and maximize more, maybe bringing in more assets, maybe even taking on a, a, a bad contract with assets attached or kind of the, the, um, uh, the road that they're kind of on right now? I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're winning now. They're not going to shift into rebuilding mode. And I think, you know, like sometimes as fans, you get caught up in like, well, how do we build a championship team? But I think a lot of times first, you've got to get to that 50 win mark. You got to build a culture of winning. That's important too. Like sometimes maximizing your title chances over like a 10 year period versus maximizing your winning over a five year period. I think if you haven't won for a long time, it's probably better just to win now and just build this. Especially because you're in New York. If you can win consistently for like four or five years, you'll get good free agents eventually. Right. But just like, just win. And I think realistically with Tibbs, I wouldn't want to have two first round picks. He's not going to play two first round picks next year. <laughs> like, it's just not going to happen. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And you've got Topton already needing more minutes. Like, I, I would not be stunned if they trade one of those picks to the deadline. Wow. And that'd be very valuable. There's not many picks going to be available at the deadline this year. So if you'll trade one of your first still cap space, like it wouldn't stomach them up like Oladipo or something like that. That wouldn't shock me at all. We, uh, we always see, um, and I think, uh, I, and I always mispronounce this, but uh, Sam, the senior Vesini for the athletic always comes up with kind of like a, a ranking um, type article for, uh, you know, the young cores that are in the NBA. And just based on kind of, you know, what you've seen around the league, you know, where would you rank? And I'm not saying specifically because it would be difficult to kind of like conceptualize all 30 teams right now. But do you think in terms of the young core that the Knicks have right now, would you say that they're in kind of the top half of the league in terms of um, the collection, bottom half? Or, you know, how do you feel about their future going forward? Are we counting Julius as a young core guy? Where does he fall into that question? Chip, what do you think? I think he's 20 – well, he's 26, so I don't know if he's a young core guy. He may be just over the mark, isn't he? I think like 25 and younger is young. Yeah, cores, I think 25 and younger is usually the, the cutoff. Although I feel like we might sign him to a long – I don't know. but I think you definitely will. That's going to happen. Yeah, I think he's yeah. part of the core. I just don't right. know if he's part yeah. of the young core. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it probably lands – depends on where you land on RJ – I'm not, never been a huge RJ guy. Cause I've never bought his jump shot. Right. I know it's going in right now, but his free throws aren't. And that always a red flag to me. I guess he's shooting my free throw line too, isn't he? He's, he's getting better at it. Yeah. If RJ could become a better shooter, that's the thing. If RJ becomes a knockdown three point shooter, I think it changes the whole outlook of the Knicks. Right. I just got to see it first. I believe it's going to happen. Yeah, definitely. Right. Chip, um, do you have uh, any other Knicks or, or any other NBA stuff for, for Jonathan? 
Uh, I have one more thing for Jonathan. I know you cover the draft, Jonathan. So I, I saw you wrote something about Cade Cunningham and I just wanted mm-hmm. to ask you about to talk about Cade a little bit and anybody else in the draft that you wanted to talk about. Cause we haven't talked much draft. That's true. Yeah. I think this year's draft, I think Cade Cunningham from o- and then Evan Mobley from USC. Okay. I think that that is as strong a top two has been in a long time. Mm-hmm. Like that's two really foundational level players you could get in the draft this year. I think, but I think below, I think that's the top two and there's a drop, but those top two, man, those top two picks worth your weight in gold this year to get to a player like Kate or Mobley. Like, so Kate six, eight point forward. He can shoot it really well around a player can defend probably four or five positions can rebound. He's a great player. He plays like a 28 year old. He can run pick and roll. So like he's just your classic plug and play, and he can guard. He's a, he's a, he's a small forward who can guard, shoot, and run point. So that's just so valuable inherently as a player. And then Mobley, I think Mobley is one of the best seven footers come in the league in a long time. Like mm-hmm. Mobley is a special special talent. He kind of has like that Draymond Green Bam Adebayo skill set in terms of guarding the perimeter, guarding the rim, and like running making passes. But he's seven feet tall. Like he's legit seven feet tall playing like Draymond Green. Like he is a special. Those two guys, like, and it's one of those things, it's just pure luck. Right? Sorry, Peter's not there. Like getting those guys will be pure luck, but whoever gets those guys will change their franchise, I think. Those those top two picks. Yeah, I think as Knicks fans, we're hoping that uh the pharma and, and basketball guards reward us this year because we've been you know, on some level tanking for high draft picks and then getting screwed by the percentages, but we just hope we end up like the Pelicans. Yeah. It was, was 2019. You had the third pick, right? A two man yeah. draft. Yeah. That was, yeah. Um, that was, that was the whole Zion year. Um, but listen, or jaw, you could have a jaw. It'd have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> John Moran would have been awesome too, but you know what? Listen, I, 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 um, you know, just on RJ, like for year two, I'm happy with the improvement thus far. I think with him, we we we're kind of accepting the fact that it's going to be gradual. I do like the intangibles. I I have to say, and I say this, I've said this on like a bunch of pods before, but and I know I know Chip agrees too. Like, if you watched him defensively at Duke, I I thought that was going to be such a long haul for improvement for for him at the professional level. So to see that he actually guards pick and roll coverages pretty well, he recovers really well, gets his hands in the passing lanes. Um, really kind of um, stands his ground when people are trying to post him up. And he's just so strong. Yeah, he's a real, got a great body. Yeah. Sure. Very big bodied wing. So I'm, I'm definitely in year two, like at least thus far, right? Like I'm happy with the improvement. And I've got to believe that as a, you know, 20, 21 year old, that it's going to continue to get better. But of course, I mean, what you say is, is right. I mean, if he's not, if he's not at the very least close to 37%, you know, from three, um, given what usage rate we could kind of forecast him having in the future, it's going to be tough, you know, for him to be a, a foundational player. But I am happy, and I guess you don't want to say this with the number three pick in the draft, but I'm happy that, you know, into year two, I, I have no doubts that he's going to have a long career in the NBA. Yeah. Um, as a player that affects winning, it's just about how much – you know, money do you give him? How much is he worth? And and that's kind of like the big thing with him. 
Well, this is why I go back to quickly. It's like, I have, you just got to find spacing in different positions. Well, you have RJ, you got Julius, you got Mitchell when he gets back. When does he come back, by the way? How long is he out? Well, he was four to six weeks, right, Chip? And I think we just hit, yeah. what, two-week mark or no? Okay, yeah. so it's still going to be a while. Yeah, yeah, he still has the cast on his hands. So. Well, we've been, okay. we've been lucky. Yeah. Like, Nerland's Noel. Like, He's played well. We yeah. signed. Played very well. And I, we didn't know what that would be, but, like, rim protection for us has not really been an issue. Yeah. Nerland's played 40 minutes the other night. It's yeah. the first time he's played that long in, like, years. So, it's I'm, crazy. Yeah, I'm sure he's loving it. Like, I'm sure he's yeah. loving it. Yeah. Uh, That's the funny thing sometimes. We'll get all these minutes. The players love playing. They'll play all the time. They don't care. They want to play all the time. Right. And I think, uh, yeah, that's probably why some players do love playing for tips. And that, yeah. that's definitely been an issue with him. Um, and it's followed him here. Like, like there, there are things about tips that, um, you know, whether it's the three point shooting or, you know, the shot chart and uh, playing players, big minutes. Like I know even you wrote in, in that article in the ringer and, and chip has brought this up on our pod before, like to have that five man lineup, um, log the most minutes in the NBA when we're a team that was, you know, below 500, it's like, you wouldn't think that that would be the case um, because it's not like we're a top tier team, but that's tips. Like that's just him. He really relies. Yeah. On <coughs> he rides his starters. It's funny. Yeah. Like, yeah, his starters have played the most in the league and they're like barely breaking even. It's not negative. Yeah. It's just very, very unusual thing to see in this day and age. It was like, did y'all see a viral video of those Russian wrestlers playing basketball? Uh, look this up. Was that the nineties, the nineties basketball thing? Is that? Yes. No, yes, it's like these yeah, 10 yeah. Russian wrestlers are yeah, yeah, yeah. each other. And then, I was like, Tibbs would just love this. this <laughs> no, it's true. Um, but we, you know, we, we, it, it's been fun to watch, man. And, and we're definitely pumped about that. Um, but listen, Jonathan, uh, thank you so much, uh, for spending some time with us. Yeah, for sure. We really appreciate it before we let you go. If you can let all the people listening know where they can find you on Twitter, um, your work, and obviously if there's something that you're working on right now and you want to promote, please do so. Oh, well, thanks. Um, yeah, so I'm on Ring the Ringer. I do like the morning NBA blog, like probably four times a week, kind of talking about the last night's games, finding a story. Then podcast-wise, I'm on group chat, Ringer NBA show every Tuesday. Every other Wednesday, we do Ringer University, kind of looking at younger players, like a manual quickly. So that's... I'm over the ringer. Check it out. Thanks for time. Appreciate you guys letting me plug that. Of course, absolutely. Um, everybody, please uh, read all of all of Jonathan's work at the ringer. Um, and for everybody else listening, we hope you guys are staying safe and we will talk to you soon.